It's good to be together today, to gather, to worship our God, and to praise him as he richly deserves. Our ability to praise our God, though, is limited in the sense that we would love to praise him even more and find the right words to share with him and with each other how much he means to us. But we do our very best, and we do so through the communion in which we have engaged in that feast that our brother took us through. We do so through these songs that remind us of the fact that we have an anchor that holds us and that we can be assured in a blessed and perfect way. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning if you'd like to follow along and open up to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read just a verse there to set the stage for our study together this morning. We have a number of our uh, members who are gone and traveling and unable to be with us, but we are blessed to have in their place a number of visitors, people that are new to this congregation or new to this community or are passing through, and we hope that you'll not just pass through, but maybe uh, stick around for a little while and maybe consider coming back and worshiping with us in the future as you are our honored guest, and, and we appreciate the fact that you care about spiritual things and that you are here. Our sermon this morning is going to be a little bit different in a couple of ways, in that we're only going to look at a few passages really in detail, and also different in that we're going to save most of those passages for the latter part of our study, because the first part of our study is really going to be looking at some aspects of doctrine that are taught in the world religiously today. Which brings me to the passage where Peter wrote, wrote some 2,000 years ago in 1 Peter chapter 3. And he says in verse 15, he says, I want you to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That word sanctify is typically associated with spiritually minded things. It's literally, or you may have in your translations, the idea of setting apart or making special. Make God special in your hearts. And then he says in verse 15, always be ready. So we are to be Boy Scouts in every way as Christians. Always be ready. And what are we to be ready to do? To give an answer or to give a defense to everyone, not just a few, but to all individuals who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is not an exposition of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 because we could spend a good 30 minutes just on this particular passage. But I do think it's important for us to understand that others should see a hope that is in us and see a hope that is around us such that we are assured of our salvation. Which brings me then to the topic of our study together today, and I appreciate our brother Jonathan leading us in songs that help us to understand the idea of the anchor of our hope and the concept of blessed assurance. What a beautiful song, what a beautiful sentiment, and it goes back a number of years as we'll talk here in just a couple of moments. When we think about 1 Peter 3 verse 15 though, we are against a formidable enemy in that Satan has tried to twist passages in Scripture that we'll look at in the course of our study today to get us to understand this idea of assurance perhaps a little bit non-biblically or in inappropriate ways. But yet we've got to be careful as we will balance this study or at least attempt to balance this study that we don't take that too far. And that will be the second objective of our study together 
this morning. I want to ask a very serious question, and probably it's the most serious question that you will be asked to consider. And I want you to really consider it, and that is, if indeed, as a serious thing, you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And I want you to think about how you would answer that question. And there may not be a perfect right answer, but that is a perfect question. Not because I wrote it. It's a pretty basic question. But if something were to happen to you today, and there's a chance that that could happen, we, we hope that we all live for a, a number of more years, especially for those who are younger. We, we hope that God blesses you with another 50 to 70 years, some of you who are very young. But some of us who are middle-aged or approaching that, we're approaching death a little bit quicker. And we talked about death in one of our songs together today, that in no fear of death, do we have? But if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Now, there's some what I would call hesitation with that particular question or with the way that we answer it. Let me suggest to you some possible answers that may have crossed your mind, and they are not bad answers, but we want to have a more optimum answer by the time we conclude in our study together this morning. You may have said something along the lines that I sure hope so. I hope that if something happens to me, I go to heaven today. And that doesn't make you right or wrong to answer that particular way. But again, there may be a better way of thinking about that. We just sang a song that said, Blessed Assurance. Assurance is the idea of finality and the idea of something on which we can count. But yet we sometimes look at a question like, if I were to die, would I go to heaven? I, may, I hope so. Or you might be thinking something like, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that by God's grace and by my obedience to him, going back to Ephesians chapter 2, where we'll end together today and where we began our worship service, that God will save me in heaven. We, in fact, pray, and I think rightly so, that when this life is over, please grant us that home in heaven, and that's very right to do so. Some might even say probably, although if you say probably, I'd put a big asterisk next to that and say, come back to that, and I'm glad you're here if your answer is probably so. Some may just say, maybe. If I were to die, I maybe would go to heaven, but I'm not sure of it. And I think one of the things that maybe challenges us in terms of answering with finality and with blessed assurance is the notion of a false doctrine that came about some 500 years ago and that really gave forth to these ideas about we've got to be careful about saying that we are assured of our salvation. And that is what is found in virtually every denomination, whether you are familiar with denominations or not. These are churches that are created in the hearts and in the minds of men and that often are steeped in what we refer to as Calvinism. And this is not really a study about Calvinism, although we're going to spend a good 10 minutes on the subject and do a very quick overview of the tenets related to it. But I would argue that if we're going to fulfill 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, we don't have to be familiar with every false doctrine that is out there. We'd spend all of our time worrying about that and not worrying about the truth. 
But there does need to be a balance in that we need to be fairly educated about some of the false doctrines that are out there in order to give answers. Because you are going to have friends, you're going to have coworkers, and you are going to have family members with whom you interact who have these beliefs. You may say, I've never even heard of that because it's not in the Bible. Well, it's not in the Bible, so you haven't heard of it, which is the uniqueness of the first part of the sermon today and that we're really leaning on what men say, and then we'll look at what the scriptures have to say. It is named after John Calvin. That's where the name comes from, early in the 16th century, which was a long time ago, a long time ago, even before those of us who are a little bit older were around. And it really is a set of religious beliefs or tenets that are centered around five major concepts that are encapsulated by the acronym TULIP. And you may have heard something along this line before. This may be brand new to you. I would encourage you to maybe write some of these things down. As always, you're welcome to my notes. I was thinking about this particular sermon and have been now for a few weeks and uh, thought back to 31 years ago when I heard some lessons on this. And I still have my notes from the preacher 31 years ago in my old Bible that's now in 23 different pieces. A Bible that's falling apart belongs to a person whose life is not falling apart, right? So if you have your Bible all written in and you have multiple copies because you have to replace it every five to 10 years, that's okay. Uh, Someone recently asked, is it okay to make a note in my Bible? Yes, it's okay. In fact, we encourage you to do so when you see those things that are important for you and your growth. And so a brief understanding of these things is helpful. So we're going to spend just uh, five minutes looking at this. The T stands for total depravity, the idea that we are originally born with sin, that it's inherited of Adam, or that it is hereditary. The moment that you come out of the womb, you already have sin. And you can see where this would then cause a problem for those of us who are Christians, who believe that we are in sin because of our choices. We are blessed in this congregation, and it seems like By the way, it seems like about every three months we're hearing about a new child that's about to come into this world, and that's a good thing, and come into this congregation. We're glad about that. But we are blessed with a lot of young children, and when I'm talking about young, I'm talking about weeks old, days old, months old, or certainly very young who do not have the capacity, aside from the fact that they may know a little bit about right and wrong, they do not understand the full-fledged concept of right and wrong, biblically speaking. And if something were to happen to them, and we hope that that would not happen, we're not concerned about their salvation. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are some who would teach that we are born in sin, We'll come back and talk about that maybe just a couple minutes later. The second of these aspects is the idea of unconditional election, where God has reduced free will and has automatically already chosen those who would serve him. You may say, well, I've never heard about this Calvinism business, but I have some religious friends who believe this. And now you're seeing where this Calvinism seeps into the belief set of lots of major denominational tenets. The L stands for limited atonement, where it says that Jesus didn't die for all men, but it's only limited to certain, after all, certain men and women. 
where we water down the importance of the blood of Jesus that we sing about, that we partook of a few moments ago. The I stands for irresistible grace. Those who are called by the Lord can't but help receive the grace of God. doesn't matter whether I want to be a child of God or not. He has called me to be his child, and that is a grace that is irresistible. We're going to talk about grace a fair amount in our study in the second portion today. And then the final component, which brings us back to blessed assurance, is this idea of the perseverance of the saints, what we commonly refer to as once saved, always saved. And so the point that I would like to make about blessed assurance is simply this. Do we err in singing blessed assurance when we firmly believe that there's no such thing as once saved and always saved, as we'll talk in just a moment. Are we singing a song that is misleading perhaps to ourselves or misleading to others who may be unfamiliar with the doctrine of Jesus Christ? What about blessed assurance? As Christians and as Bible students, we believe that Calvinism is filled with faults. And we're going to talk about that in the course of the next two slides. In particular, it is the last two tenets that I want us to talk about a little bit more today, which go to the heart of the study in which we are engaged, the idea of blessed assurance. And that is, number one, God's elect are those who choose to serve him rather than being chosen in a passive sense by our creator. And then we also have to acknowledge, and one of the reasons why we are here together today, if I were to ask you, what are the reasons that you are gathered on the first of the week? And I, I said, you've got to, to list at least 10. I would think that somewhere in your top 10 would be, I want to make sure that I keep doing what's right because I don't want to do what is wrong. Inherent in that particular statement is the acknowledgement that you could do wrong, and that this notion is that a person could disinherit his or her salvation, which brings us then to the biblical text, four passages that I want to look at today. I want to consider, if you would, the following key passages and spend just a minute or two on each of these four. And I did a very scientific way of coming up with these passages, and the very intricate way that I came up with them is I looked at my notes from 31 years ago. I thought the sermon was so good that I... David mentioned last week that you don't remember what I've said in the last three years. Do you remember everything... Dave, he's not here to defend himself. I was going to do this now. Do you remember everything he said in the last 19 years? Someone once put the analogy this way. Do you remember what you ate on March the 4th, 2014? I do. Of course you don't, but your mother made sure you were fed. If you were a grown-up, you made sure that you got food yourself or that you fixed something. And the point being is that we may not remember every sermon that David or Leland or someone else preaches. I don't remember every sermon from back in 1991, 1992 when I took those notes in this series that really impacted me, and I memorized some of these passages to have this ready to access, but I know that I'm being fed. Because not so much that David is capable, that I am capable, but because it is the word of God that provides us the wherewithal for that growth to transpire. So one of those passages that I want to look at is in the book of Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read a couple of verses around each of the verses that we've come up with. 
And we're going to establish the point that uh, these ideas of once saved, always saved, and that inherited sin are things that are contrary to what the scriptures are teaching. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, as he's talking to a group of Christians who have become, shall we say, confused about the role of the Old Testament and the old law and the Mosaic tenets in the new law, he says, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And we as good Bible students understand that that's more than just circumcision. He's saying, if you say, I'm going to fulfill the commands of the Old Testament, the first 39 books of the, of the Bible, and I'm going to follow all the precepts and all the laws and all the sacrifices, then I must do indeed all of it. I can't just pick and choose buffet style. And so in verse four, you... You Christians, remember he's talking to Christians in the area of Galatia, you have become estranged or separated from Jesus Christ because you have attempted to be justified by the law. And then in case the point needed to be made further and in a more emphatic way, he says, you have fallen from grace. If you are someone that likes to underline things in your Bible and you like to mark it up or or put stars or notes or whatever the case may be, you might highlight the fact that he says there, estranged from Christ, fallen from grace. Those are things that can happen. This is something that we need to appreciate in that just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I come up out of the waters of baptism and I'm on autopilot where I don't have to worry about any way in which I live, that God will protect me and save me for the rest of my life. God will protect you. God will save you. But you've got to be obedient even to the point of death, as Jesus would say in Matthew 10, or as Jesus would say in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 and in other passages. So we've got to appreciate that a person can fall from grace. From time to time, one of our brothers or our sisters comes forward in an assembly like this at the conclusion of the invitation and says, I've done wrong. Why does that person do so? If the person is saved and always saved, then that person just say, just go back to your seat. No need to come up front. But instead we say, we're glad that you are making acknowledgement of your sin because we are appreciative of the fact that you recognize that your salvation can be disinherited. And the Bible is filled with individuals who were like that, who forsook and who were sinful. A second passage is in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. Now, Paul is the primary author of the New Testament. He wrote half the New Testament books give or take one book or so. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 25, go back to verse 24, and we'll read this little paragraph here. The Bible there records for us, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? So he's using an analogy. Paul loves analogies. He likes farming, he likes military, and he likes uh, athletics. Those are the three kind of idioms he likes to engage in. And he says, but only one receives the prize. This is before participation trophies. Only one person gets the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Verse 24. 
Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or governs himself in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we are working for an imperishable crown. We're, we are fighting and running a race and engaging in an agricultural uh, activity, pick whatever um, illustration you want, so that we can win the fruit, win the prize, win the war. But we are doing it for something that is imperishable. Therefore, this is the way that I run. Now, this is Paul, who we talked about just a few weeks ago as really being a, a super saint. I mean, he's, he's Paul. Uh, someone was joking a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, that if Paul were to walk in here and say, I want to deliver a sermon, we would all gladly say, you're teaching today, not me. Bible class teacher says, you take over. But here's Paul, he says, here's the way that I run, here's the way that I compete, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but instead I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. What is Paul saying? It seems to me he's saying the same thing that he was saying to the church at Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, when he says, you have fallen from grace, you have become estranged from Christ. He says, that could happen to me as well. That's a frightening thing. If Paul, the super saint that he is, and I'm, I, I use that kind of, uh, not literally, but you understand the point that I'm trying to make here. If he can sin and lose out on his salvation, what's to keep me from doing the same? A third passage is in John's brief letter to the Christians probably late or later in the first century. In 2 John chapter 1, the only chapter that exists, he says in verse 7, for many deceivers, this is 2 John 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver. This is an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever, now watch verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. The context there is not people in the world that do not abide in Christ. They never had Christ in the first place. But people who are baptized believers, who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are members of the Lord's church, Acts 2.47, those are individuals who indeed can lose out, disinherit, fall from, be estranged from Jesus the Christ. And then let me turn to a final passage in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And I want to look at two verses. We're not going to read verses 5 through 23, though I encourage you to do so. But I want you to notice what verse 5 says, then kind of put the next 20 verses or so just in big parentheses and then get to the end of the thought, because it's a long thought that Paul has. In verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope, if you want to underline the word hope, which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. By the way, the word hope is an is a, is a interesting word. We use the word hope 
differently than what the real word hope actually means. I, I sure hope that uh, maybe uh, something really good happens, or I hope that something bad doesn't happen, but we don't have an expectation associated with it. Hope is really expectation and desire mashed together. We could say more about that, but just think about this idea of hope of heaven. He goes on and he talks about Jesus Christ because that's what Paul is talking about to the church at Colossae in great depth, how Christ is more important and better than and final to everything that we would otherwise believe. And then verse 22 in my Bible ends with a dash. Now, I, I know that dashes and dots and those kinds of things may not have been present in the Greek, but I think it's an appropriate because uh, marking in verse 22, because it's the end of this long thought. And then in verse 23, what's the first word of verse 23? It's one of the most important biblical words and study words of all time. It's the word if. If indeed you continue in the faith and you are grounded and you are steadfast and are not moved away from the hope there's the word again, of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a minister. It seems to me that the first chapter can be nicely put into a box where the apostle Paul, by the way, the Holy Spirit says, you have hope of heaven, but don't lose out on that hope by virtue of your disobedience and your failure to remain steadfast, as he would say to the church of Corinth, immovable and always abounding. If you take all these passages together, these and other passages teach us that once saved, always saved is a non-biblical argument. But does that then mean that we've made a mistake today in singing Blessed Assurance? Have we done wrong? Because we've said I could lose out on my salvation. I could lose and disinherit my place in heaven. I would suggest that there's nothing wrong with singing blessed assurance and that there's something very right in singing blessed assurance because we can, underline two times, can, know, K-N-O-W, capital letters, we are saved. I talked about this about four months ago, and I'm sure you remember that sermon. At the end of 2022, when I talked about the idea that God's great gift of grace is such that we need not underestimate its power in our lives. But I want to spend just a couple of moments on the lyrics of the song, Blessed Assurance. And for those of you that like biblical hymns or hymns that are written by non-biblical characters or hymns that are written by famous individuals, some of you may already know some of this, but it was written by the famous deceased Fanny J. Crosby, written some many years ago in 1873. What you may not know is that she was void of vision. And so she would write so many different songs and do so without the advent of being able to see. And that kind of gives a little bit of a different twist to the idea of the things of which you can be assured. I can't see it, but I'm assured of it. We can't see heaven, 
not because of our eyes, but because no man has seen that. And even John and even Paul, when he was caught up into their heaven, seemed to struggle in communicating exactly how beautiful it truly was. But it truly is a wonderful song. But let's make sure that we appreciate the lyrics and what is said. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Now, I understand that there's got to be some uh, leniency with lyric writers and making sure that it sounds good and that it rhymes appropriately. But the, the, the text does not say, blessed assurance, Jesus is yours. This is a very personal song. It says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation. I have been purchased by God. I've been born of his spirit, and I've been washed in his blood. Verse 2, perfect submission. The author here uses the word perfect three or four different times. Perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bringing from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I, now notice all the personal words here. I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. When you think about this particular song, let me go back to questions. And that is, do you have blessed assurance? Is Jesus really yours? And can you really sing this song? Because you understand what I mean by this, I hope. You can lie by the songs that you sing. Or at the very least, to put it a different way, not be truthful in the words that you sing. Because if you're not a Christian, you can't say, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. You've got to make sure that your life is right. Turn over, if you would, to two final passages. I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And then I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2, to a passage that some Christians are uncomfortable with because of the attacks that we receive from those in the denominational world that go to the heart of Ephesians chapter 2. But I do want us to appreciate two phrases, or a phrase that is used twice. In verse 4, God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then what does he say? By grace, 
you have been saved. That goes back to what I said late in 2022. It is truly by grace that we are saved. Verse 6, raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then what does he say in verse 8? By grace you have been saved through faith. So there's a lot to be said about the idea of by grace you are saved, and then there's a lot to be said about the idea that you are saved. Remember the first question? And we'll come back to that question here in the next two to three minutes. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Sure hope so. I'd like to think so. Probably so. Maybe. Don't know. Haven't really thought about that. If you haven't thought about that, you need to think about that. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, a passage that is well known to this group of Bible students. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, we read through those passages that we are so familiar with, sometimes so frequently and sometimes so rapidly that we don't think about what Paul just said. Notice what Paul did not say. Let me go to the, alter, uh, the, uh, the alternative version that I think, with all due respect, that sometimes we as members of the Lord's church may think it actually says. There in verse 7, I hope I have fought the good fight. I think I have finished the race. And maybe I have kept the faith. And finally, there might be laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Would that not be the most pitiful, depressing passage in all the Bible if it said that? Except it doesn't say that. So my question is this, was Paul being pompous? Was Paul being arrogant? Was he being overconfident? Now, we don't want to be overconfident, and that's not the thrust of this lesson. And so please don't get me wrong and say, well, the preacher says, I'm going to go to heaven no matter what I do. That's a sermon in and of itself as to defeat that false doctrine. But when we sing blessed assurance and someone asks the question, and the question is, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or do you know where you would go? We have to have that anchor and be confident. We need to sing this song with meaning. As a preacher who I remember back from the late 1980s, some of you would know who he was if I said his name. Some of you were close friends with him and his family. He's now deceased. But he would say, I want you to sing that song. I want you to sing it like you mean it. This time. I'm not saying that we didn't sing it like we meant it. We have a very capable song leader and very capable singers who are enjoying praising God. But I want you to sing it with meaning. 
And when we sing this song in just a moment by way of encouragement, I want you to make sure that you sing it without fault. And what I mean by that is simply this. Don't sing something that you don't mean. Don't sing Jesus is mine if he's not yours. That means you've got to stand there and just feel uncomfortable during the three minutes we sing. You stand there and you feel uncomfortable. Better yet, make yourself more comfortable and come forward and become a Christian. Or whatever needs need to be made or need to be corrected, take care of that. We hope that you can sing Blessed Assurance with the hope that it's intended to provide and the beauty of the words that are expressed within. If you are not a Christian, become one today. If you need to make some sort of correction in your life, we'd be happy to assist you. Let us know while we stand and while we sing.